Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonables Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, Mr. Game 7, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Oh, uh, Blake. It's good to be here. How are you? Tired, man. This is uh, this is prime. I looked at my sleep app this morning and the hilarious swings of four hours, eight hours, four hours, eight hours uh, for game <laughs> nights and non-game nights. Normally, <laughs> normally, like during my regular life or the regular season, like eight hours is pretty unheard of for me. I'm usually like a six and a half person. Yeah. But because I get such little sleep on game nights. I've been able to make it up. Also, the Raptors never having shoot around and us not physically having to go to the arena saves a little bit of time. Yeah, it's uh, they are. I, I called Nick Nurse a mensch earlier. Uh, that might have been last week. And uh, I continue to thank him and, and note his positive qualities for believing in uh, or not believing in shoot arounds. His menschness, uh, his menschitude. His- his mensch-like qualities. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think Yiddish uh, nouns necessarily translate to English adjectives very easily. Uh, but uh, that's all right. I guess to English nouns. Uh, it, it has indeed been a quick quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. All right. So the, the takeaway there is Nick Nurse, mensch of the cinch. <laughs> um, very good. I uh, I said we don't have to go to the arena, which obviously has been, you know, it's been fine. It's been uh, noticeable in certain moments, like when OG Ananobi hits a, a walk-off game winner. Uh, I think it'll be noticeable in Game 7 between the Toronto Raptors and Boston Celtics, which is scheduled for Friday at 9 p.m. The Raptors should have been at home. Uh, we talked... You know, so much of our discussion before the pandemic hit was the Raptors need to get the two seeds so that they'd have home court advantage in a 2-3 matchup with the Boston Celtics. Well, we got the 2-3 matchup we wanted. Uh, They technically had home court advantage and the away team has won all six games in this series. Uh, Do Do you know what they say, Blake? The series doesn't start until one team wins on the road. Uh, they also say that a series doesn't start until the virtual and in technicality only home team wins the game. So this series hasn't even started yet. It's uh, and, and hey, it's not technicality only. You <laughs> you don't think that there is an on court performance boost for being able to see some guy you might recognize on one of the virtual fan seats. Yeah, getting to hear Let's Get It Started uh, by the Black Eyed Peas uh, versus hearing the Dropkick Murphys is a big difference. Uh, I mean, not enough so that the home teams aren't 0-6 in the series, (laughs) but, you know, it it matters. It matters to me, certainly. Yeah, uh, Jack Armstrong talking about Dropkick Murphys the other night on the broadcast during Game 5 was fun. Jack, come on Columbia House Party. (laughs) dropkick murphy's um this is not columbia house party this is uh raptors reason list before we get going just a reminder uh, if you don't subscribe to the written part of our site you can always go to the athletic.com slash we the six for 40 percent off a new subscription or right now to celebrate us hitting 1 million subscribers uh, thought about doing a Dr. Evil voice there eric but i don't know if that's a timely reference million subscribers Yes. yes um and then, yeah, and then Alex and Adam are like, that's not that many subscribers in 2020, Dr. Yeah. Blake. Uh, so one billion subscribers is the next goal. Uh, yeah, so you can, right now, um, new subscriptions are on for 125 Canadian a month, uh, which is ridiculously cheap. So just click on any of our articles right now, and that should pop up for you if you're not already a subscriber. So... Check that out. Uh, we have lots of Game 6, post-Game 6 stuff. We'll have lots I, of Game 7. I can't, emph- I can't emphasize this enough. Click on one of the Toronto Raptors writers' articles and not the Boston Celtics writers' articles. Let's, yes. make it pet- let's make it petty. No, but look, this is an important <laughs> part of the series. We we talked, you know, we've talked for years about wanting this series, and a big part of it is that there's this... Uh, you know, friendly slash maybe six games in, no longer friendly rivalry between Raptors Twitter and Celtics Twitter and the fan bases. And 
I think part of that is you, dear listener, doing you your part to make sure Eric and I uh, drive more new subscriptions than Jared and Jay. It's just, it's part of the Raptors versus Celtics layers here, you know? Yeah, it, it is, dare I say, the X factor of this series. Yeah, you've got Kyle and Kemba, or Kyle and Marcus Smart in the flop-off, and you've got uh, <laughs> us against Jared and Jay in the subscription-off, so... Uh, yeah, click on any of our articles right now in seriousness. Uh, we have a lot of great stuff, I think. And then you'll be able to, after Friday, either quickly get yourself ready for Raptors heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. It'll be the Raptors' third trip to the Eastern Conference Finals in the last five years, which is pretty crazy. Uh, or you can uh, get ready for the offseason with all the unknowns we still have, like, hey, when's the draft and when's free agency and what's the salary cap and how are we handling the pandemic and all that good stuff. Uh, We'll try to take you through all that if the Raptors lose, but they might not. They gave themselves life. Uh, To recap how we got here, uh, we last spoke to you after game four, which was uh, the third of three consecutive coin flip games. Uh, The Raptors evened up the series uh, at two at that point. They then came out on Monday, and got pasted. They lost 111-89 in a game that looked very much like game one from this series. Uh, No one really had it going. The Raptors shot 30% on threes. Uh, They were down in a double-digit hole pretty much immediately and never really threatened to get back out of it. Backs against the wall. Game six on Wednesday was an all-timer. The Raptors... Force overtime, uh, despite not scoring for the last four-plus minutes of the fourth quarter. They then force a second overtime. Uh, or, I mean, you could say the Celtics forced those overtimes too, but I feel like as the slight underdog, the Raptors get to say they forced the overtimes. <laughs> and then in the second overtime, uh, you had Norman Powell doing playoff Norman Powell things. The Raptors win 125-122 in double overtime. The second overtime period ranking as... And this is uh, some qualifications here, so stick with me via Sport Radar. The highest scoring single overtime period for any elimination game in the second round or later. <laughs> that's uh, that's heavy stuff. Uh, I just enjoy that the Raptors outscored their fourth quarter output in the second overtime when all of their starters had been playing at least 18 consecutive minutes. Now... Those 18 minutes took about, you know, 70 minutes in real time. So there are some qualifiers there, certainly. But, you know, of course, they they come with their basically most efficient stretch of offense in the entire series when, you know, Kyle Lowry's at minute at minutes 48 through 53 and Pascal Siakam's at 49 to 54. Four of the five starters ending up in the 50 plus minute range for both teams uh, um <laughs> yes um but one team lost so it wasn't as heroic of a performance um pretty pretty damn impressive stuff yeah uh, I, I mean not just just notable <laughs> stuff I, I like at the end of that game and this is basically what i wrote it was just like how i, I i'm not sure and and uh before i let you transition <laughs> I, I love that I, I tweeted out uh, that OG added OB, or, or Kyle Lowry at, after the game, when asked about OG, said a bunch of nice things. He said, oh, you can't forget about those three jump balls he won, won in overtime, which obviously I did forget about. And John Schumann of NBA.com with a Schumann stat pointed out that it was the second time in the Raptors' three wins that they've had a lower offensive efficiency than the... Uh, the Celtics and, and, and still won uh, in this case because they had three more possessions than the Celtics. So uh, uh, those those three jump ball wins did really matter. Yeah, I mean, this is why we talk about things like two for one situations at the end of the quarter, especially when, you know, if you if you're in a position to get the ball back and stuff like that, that's, uh, you know, in series this close and especially when your offense isn't functioning, a good way to eke out a couple extra points is just to steal more possessions. It's why, like, the DeRozan-era Raptors always performed better on offense than the offense maybe looked itself because they almost always had an offensive rebounding and turnover advantage. Like, they just, they got to take more shots than the other team, which is a cool thing to get to do in a tight series. 
Yeah, and and I mean, that's why you hear, I think it was Brad Stevens, but Nick Nurse will say it too, like, we're just trying to play the best possession each time we can, and it does come down to possession-to-possession granular stuff, which is, you know, why, among other things, other reasons, your Raptors Reasonablest... Recalibration. Recalibration. This is Raptors Raptors Reasonablest is this podcast. Your Raptors recalibration after every game is useful. Um, And, yes, so if you could get more of those, which OG added OB did, I think he's basically been... Not basically, I think he's definitely been the second best Raptor in the series um, and was great again in a new role last night, which we'll talk about. Um, those that those things matter. They sure do. Eric, before we get into some of that granular, nittier, grittier stuff, I want to force you to immediately contextualize something that just happened in the 25-year history of the franchise. Yeah. That game six double overtime victory, and again, like we talked about with the OG Ananobi shot, some of how this gets remembered is going to come down to, do they win on Friday? If they get bounced Friday, maybe OG shot and the double overtime win aren't thought of. Like, maybe they get a little forgotten, like Kyle Lowry's insane performances against Miami in 2016 that I think, you know, every once in a while we get to remind people of just how good he was in that series and people have forgotten sometimes. Including last night. Yeah. Um, yeah, elimination game, Lowry, sorry, non-sweep elimination game, Lowry, as we should probably qualify it. Uh, so yeah, if they, if they get bounced on Friday, maybe it doesn't get remembered quite the same. And if they go on to win the title, you know, OG shot is right there with Kawhi's shot. And this game is right there with, you know, pick your 76, like the, the double overtime game against the Bucks in game three, which was just like insanely weird or, or pick any of your 76ers games, but uh, this one, you have covered this team for a pretty long time now. Uh, where does this one, in the afterglow, afterglow of it this morning, where does this one feel like it's, it's going to hold up for you? It's definitely up there, and I think part of the reason is it totally got at the nature of this team specifically. Um, so I think... I mean, obviously, it'll matter more in, and linger on more if they win the series and, and you know, go on to the finals or to, or to win the title. But I think it was just so representative of who this team is, like grinding out possessions, like we talked about, hitting timely shots, like all of a sudden, a, you know, an ugly game going going to matching going three for three basically for a few possessions uh in in double overtime contributions from uh now it might not be point wise although in, in some cases it was but up and down the roster uh you had five raptors in double digits uh which no sorry six raptors in double digits and mark gasol up at eight which uh without looking at the totals i'm gonna guess is sort of the most balanced they've been uh, in this series. Shout out to Marcus All uh, finally hitting his point total over under in the series. <laughs> uh, his his third minute stint, his third quarter stint was huge. Uh, they won those minutes, I believe, by ten points, uh, which matter in a double overtime game. Yeah, that, <laughs> um, that and the Matt Thomas minutes, big swings. Yeah, I was just looking at Matt Thomas's. Uh, Net rating for that game. Uh, it was good. <laughs> um, Matt Thomas, your series leader in net rating for the Raptors, by the way. Yeah, well, when you play, what is it now? Like 17 minutes, 20 minutes? 37. Uh, oh, wow. I mean, he uh, got an entire fourth quarter of garbage time and some garbage time in the uh, first yes, game, too. I, I, and probably quarter, uh, the fifth game. Um, which, I, if you yeah. ask me what the score was in the fourth quarter of game seven, uh, of game five, rather... I I mean I would assume that it was pretty close, but I actually I have no idea. Uh, they won it by two. Okay. Um, well, good for the bunch guys. Um, it's high. It was just uh, I mean the number of thing the number of memorable plays from Kyle's post ups to OG. Like I still think the the <laughs> greatest th- play single play last night. Uh, uh, I think Kyle's post ups will live on, but. Uh, down three, OG attacking a closeout, spinning into and away from Daniel Tice, and then throwing a, a picture-perfect pass 
to the top of the key to a wide open norm for a game tying three. Like we were talking not all year, but on and off about OG Ananobi's development as a player. I think he's still a player. <laughs> you know, he's had some ridiculous things in this. Uh, in he this had series. a pull up three off the dribble late clock against Jalen Brown too in the first yeah. quarter. Yeah, like some things he's doing in this series. Yeah, like you truly wonder if they started to give him more reps, which I'm not advocating because it's obviously too dicey to to risk <laughs> experimenting in a game seven or anything. But given his chances, he's been pretty damn good, and that was a wonderful play under pressure. As to was his three pointer, I think on the next possession <laughs> from pretty much the same spot as Powell just hit um, to you know Norm's. Another norm steal and not quite dunk, a, a layup, but that was probably the biggest swing of the game. Uh, norm Powell stripping uh, Jason Tatum in a sort of a Kyle Lowry type moment. Yeah, just uh, like swing, like like you just like zoom by him across his body. Yeah, and, and uh, hope hope you get the ball. Uh, yep. But I, I'm sure it's more than hope. Uh, like uh, these are NBA players, highly coordinated people, and there's. It's not a fluke that they consistently make these types of plays. Even, you know, Van Vliet had a great baseline drive to get Norm going on what would be 15 points over seven minutes. Ibaka had his threes to keep them like a lifeless offense in the game. I could keep going. It was uh, it was just like everybody chipping in in whatever way they could. Uh, it was weird as hell. Uh, Jalen Brown is basically accusing Nick Nurse of being a sixth man on defense, which, uh, <laughs> you know, has some merit, maybe. Uh, everybody was super into it. Uh, Marcus Smart started yelling at people at the end of the game. It's going to be memorable. It's one of the more memorable ones I've covered. Um, I mean, the the ones that jump out are obviously Game 7 against Philly, Game 3, and Game 6 against Milwaukee last year. Uh, game seven against Brooklyn uh, in 2014. Um, you gotta go game seven against. You gotta go game seven against game seven against Philly in 2001. Uh, game five in Madison Square Garden. Although I don't think that's near as dramatic in terms of just the game as yeah. as those other ones. But like obviously winning your first series. Uh, matters, but I think it's on that short list for sure. We'll be right back after this break. Yeah, I would throw game five against the Pacers in 2016 yeah. in there, but I think yeah. part of that might also be like there was so much on the line for the franchise and that. Oh, yeah, but that's that's part of it. Like yeah. that's that's the context, right? Like if, yeah. if they don't win that game, we're probably not here. So um, yeah, I also I can't. I mean, I know that that Miami series was uh, like. The the offensive environment in that Miami series was even worse than in this series so far, um, and I don't I don't think it was any one game that really stood out because especially because the Lowry buzzer beater and happened in a, a Raptors loss, but yeah. there are just like there are so many good Kyle Lowry performances from that series. There uh, are. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess one no one game stands out as the yeah is the um it's just so ugly and i i didn't i didn't feel like the two were really like raising each other's play uh lowry was certainly performing at a level that was incredible and Dwayne wade had some great moments but i i also don't think the quality of those two teams was well yeah they lost whiteside and valanchunas yeah and like the and then the Raptors got six games swept by uh, by <laughs> Cleveland. So I, I I just think what happened after sort of colors it. But I don't remember any like, and it's funny because I think the first two games both went into overtime if memory serves. Um, but I don't think there was a stone cold classic in yeah. there. It's it's funny you say the six game sweep, or there's like obviously a five game series is a gentleman sweep. I want to call that one like the Hennessy sweep. Like <laughs> I remember, J.R. Smith was involved. So I, I, yeah, I maybe I shouldn't say this. I, just, I remember at Cavs shoot around the day of Game Three, just like getting an energy from the team that, like, oh yeah, the Raptors are going to win this game. 
uh, that an energy from the the Cavs that is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll call it a we'll call it a Hennessy sweep or a, a white the White Vegas sweep or something like that. But uh, the w- White Vegas the name the term for Toronto that's never really made sense given uh, you know the de- what Vegas looks like on a normal day versus what Toronto <laughs> looks like on a normal day. Uh, anyway, thanks, thanks, Jason Whitlock. Yeah. Uh, so, Eric, there's a lot to digest from this uh, beyond just where this game ranks. I, I want to start on the Boston side, actually, just because there were some, I thought, some pretty notable things from Boston starters. Um, I think, first of all, the thing that stands out is Kemba Walker was once again pretty limited. And that was part of why the Raptors wanted to close small. But they also did a pretty good job on him early on. They started the game in box and one on Kemba Walker, which uh, Nick Nurse seemed to. I watched, when I did my rewatch, I watched the ESPN broadcast on, um, was it ESPN or TNT? I can't remember now. I think it was ESPN. Um, yes, it was ESPN because AEW Dynamite would have been on T- TNT. Obviously. Yeah. Um, so uh, I watched that back and like Nick Nurse was on the broadcast in the first half and basically like doing one of those sideline interviews. It was basically like, yeah, yeah, I ran the box and one out there. But the announcers like were kind of half debating whether they'd run They'd ran a box and one early in the game just because like it's so hard to pick that stuff up live, like until you slow it down or you're, yeah. you know, you're looking for it. And like the difference between their box and one and triangle and two and two, two, one or two, one, two, rather, um, they all just kind of flow into each other, depending on what the trigger is for the, for the, anyway, Kemba Walker held the 5.7 assists. I still thought a lot of the pressure that Kemba creates was creating things for other teammates. Uh, they also did a pretty good job turning Jason Tatum into a playmaker. He did score 29 points, but he took 32 possessions to get there, uh, had nine assists. Instead, what that allowed for was, first of all, Marcus Smart hit three threes basically immediately, and it felt exactly like games one and two again. Uh, Marcus Smart with a triple-double in that game. Jason Tatum uh, one assist away from a triple-double as well. Yeah, and uh, Smart going six of 11 on threes, which... Doesn't feel fair to have a third game like that in a series. I didn't uh, care for it. Yeah. So the bigger thing I think is like, and down the stretch, it was Daniel Tice getting a little bit more because the Raptors were small. Early on, it was Marcus Smart. The big takeaway for me, other than the Raptors continue to do a pretty good job turning Kemba and Tatum into playmakers, is Jalen Brown's usage percentage in the first half was higher than any Kawhi Leonard game during the playoff run last year, except Game 7 against the 76ers. That's how that's how heavily involved Jalen Brown was in the Celtics offense in the first half. Took 18 field goal attempts and used more than 41% of the Celtics' field goal, uh, uh, offensive possessions when he was on the floor. Eric, you and I are very, very fond of Jalen Brown. We've been open about that. That is that type of usage where Smart and Brown are dominating the shots while Walker and Tatum are more uh, facilitators and using the attention against them to create for guys like Smart and Tice and Brown. That's got to be the game plan again in Game 7, right? Like, like make as good as Brown and Smart and Tice are, make guys 3 through 5 be the, be the ones to knock you out. Yeah, I mean, I think when the Raptors go back and look at some of those early looks especially... Um, and then again, the looks in the fourth quarter, which necessitated the lineup change to go small, they won't be happy with the coverages. So I don't think you ever want, like, you know, it brings me back to last year against Milwaukee when somebody asked Nick Nurse, do you want to stop Giannis's drives or do you want to contest, like, get really good contests on the threes? And he said, you got it. We want to do both. Um, and that's obviously you air, it's airing on the side of giving one up. It's not ideally giving one up, but it, it's a nod to the opponent that, uh, you know, they can function and, and they can take what they're, what the Raptors are giving them and, and make the right play. And if they do that, what's going to be left? So that's what you're talking about. And, what are you giving up? You're sort of assuming perfect execution or, or very good execution from the offensive team, uh, from the opponent, rather. Saying that, I think it's, you know, having 
Walker at 11 shots, two games after having him at nine shots, is certainly ideal, uh, or, or the the breakdown you want, uh, the numbers you want. Kemba Walker is terrifying, no matter what his numbers are. <laughs> like It really doesn't matter. I think every one of his shots that is like on balance is going in uh like the when they when you get, when you send help at him and, and that sort of contorts his balance i'm not as sure but like any any times he gets both feet under him i just assume the shot's going in which makes a 2 for 11 game all the more notable um 30 shots for jalen brown brown as you mentioned 18 in the first half that's like ridiculous for <laughs> a third option it's just, it's ridiculous. I don't know what to say about that. Um, other than a lot of those early looks, again, are too clean. I I think the Raptors would admit that. But again, if you're erring on the side of something, it's probably going to be that or Brad Wanamaker, who is hitting every open shot he gets, it seems like doing a minor James Ennis impression. And I, I mean, even if Smart and Brown end up shooting 10 for 24, uh, and then Grant Williams gives you two threes, Brad Wanamaker gives you two threes, the reason the Raptors are able to stay in this game is because Tatum and Walker aren't ultimately efficient with the possessions they do use. And that's been, you know, part of the... Uh, the the very compu- complicated formula that has resulted in at least two of the three Raptors wins. So I think they're going to try to stick to it, but this is a team that throws a bunch of things at you. So they're they're not going to be uh, beholden to any one strategy, obviously. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what Boston is, right? We talk all year about the Raptors' defensive versatility and how many different ways they can stop opponents, and Boston is the rare team that can kind of change what they're doing on the fly at both ends as well uh, with the Raptors. Now, Boston, I think, as the series has gone on, have gotten less and less comfortable with some of those options. Obviously, Game 5 stands out as everything was comfortable for Boston, but you saw in Game 6, quick hook for Robert Williams III, quick hook for Shemi Ojale. Um, not a, you know, Grant Williams knocked down two threes in his seven minutes, but the Raptors were still a plus five in that amount of time. So, um, the Serge Ibaka special. Yes. Yes. Serge Ibaka. Yeah. Three of five on threes. And the only guy who could hit a shot also had three blocks and was still a minus nine in his 21 minutes. Uh, let's touch on that quickly, just because Marcus all had such a bad first half that he tried to rip his jersey in half and then like left the bench area in visible frustration. Nice little bounce back at the top of the third blocked the shot, hit a three. Finished with eight points, uh, a little foul trouble again, but a plus five. It's the fourth time in six games that the Raptors starters have won their minutes. Basically, the formula has been if the Raptors starters don't win the minutes, they get blown out. And if they win the minutes, they can have a close game, Um, especially as Boston shrinks the rotation closer to six with a rotating seventh. Um, Obviously, Toronto's bench is still... It was a great Norman Powell game, but like we said, Ibaka wasn't really driving performance that much. Uh, the Matt Thomas cameo was nice, and they were a plus eight in his six minutes. Uh, but again, sh- shortish leash there. So I-, I guess what I'm trying to set up is, one, are you still confident in the starters having won, four, won their minutes for the six games? And two, are you expecting in game seven, you know, another scenario where we've got four starters aside playing 50, mi- 50 minutes and... You know, if you're the Raptors, maybe maybe you're leaning on any fatigue disadvantage uh, to date in the series now being even because Boston had to play these these crazy workloads too with a quick turnaround time. Well, That's I don't two, two semi unrelated questions. Sorry, um, I don't think four starters for each team will play 50 minutes in Game Seven. Uh, at least I hope not. With You're calling minute, a regulation with, game, eh? I, I'm gonna go out on a limb and do that. Uh, who knows? But, uh, God, I hope not. <laughs> um, uh, I don't see the... Ra- I mean, Gasol played only 16 minutes in, in game six. Uh, that's because he basically got the, you know... Who's a, who's a good center example of you play six minutes and then you're done uh, for the night? Uh, 
I feel like there's been time, many, many examples of that sort of guy. Yeah, the, the um, early Light Years era warriors did it a lot. Yeah. Um, so they could go to I, I think at the Raptors' best, you certainly want Gasol in the mid-20s, or, or at least the low-20s, and you're okay with where Ibaka was at 21. But... I mean, I said it before the game, like if Gasol had a rocky few minutes, I was probably going away from him from the rest of the half. And that's exactly what played out. I do think he got up to come back into the game and things were going well for the Raptors. So Nick Nurse changed his mind. Um, but I mean, this is who the Raptors are at this point. I assume it's going to be the same eight guys that play any meaningful minutes unless they're like really getting run out of the building uh, to start. Um and I think that, uh, you know, I, I, the Celtics are a bit trickier to me, right? Because they, they still, they played nine guys. Uh, and even though like Semi Ojale, uh, only played five minutes, like it, it was not in a useless part of the game. Um, his minutes have been really strange to me. Some have aligned with Siakam, some haven't. And I, I really don't totally understand his not that he shouldn't be playing i just can't get a hold on on why he's playing necessarily um but it's i think the celtics are going to lean heavily on the five starters uh and try to figure out what else works uh from there whether the the um fatigue mat- matchup has evened up at this point. Like I, I think the Raptors have still logged a lot more time over, over this course of the series. Um, you know, especially when you get away from the top two guys and get into the depth guys, that probably becomes more true without looking at the series numbers, but it's one game. And I, as much as we try to analyze it, like any number of crazy things could happen. And I'm not ready to declare it. The, the rest thing, a neutral factor now or a disadvantage for the Celtics. I, I think we probably have no idea. And I think we got to be okay saying that, you know, uh, I know that doesn't make for sexy audio, but that's sort of where I am. Well, sexy audio is not the, uh, not the aim of this podcast. You know, the podcast would be a lot better if it was, Yeah, <sighs> you do, you know, your voice is not, not sultry. Thanks, man. You know? Uh, Okay. One other thing we need to unpack from this game before we turn to game seven. (laughs) I don't really know. Like, I know that statistically things like clutch have been kind of disproven. And it's like, actually, that's just good players playing well. Um, And, you know, obviously there's the primacy effect where big moments stand out in our memories more than average moments or even like slightly negative ones. Having said that. Five years into Norman Powell's career, I feel like his, like, ten best games have come in the absolute most dire of circumstances for the Raptors. Like, I don't know why, and I don't mean this to be, like, negative about Powell in normal times, but I don't know why he's not good a lot of the playoffs, but then still has this other gear where he can... You know, it's it's almost like once a year now he swings a playoff game for the Raptors dramatically. In this one, he has 23 points, 15 of them come in the overtime periods, uh, including that huge steal and then and one the other way that you mentioned earlier. You know, he had game five against the Pacers. He had game five against the Bucks. He had he's had consistent playoff moments, even though every year when we get to the playoffs, it feels like it's like, oh yeah, um, you know, Norman Powell's utility is maybe not quite it. Like, like he's the exact border player of what we're seeing with teams like the Rockets and the Bucks and even the Raptors of, okay, depth is important and having a good bench is important, but like, here's this line. And if you're on one side of it, you were a regular season contributor only. And the fact that you're a good bench player, no matter, no longer matters. And then on the other side, it's like, okay, you're a sixth or a seventh starter. It's like, I feel like we could call that the Norman Powell line at this point. And a guy like Terrence Davis in Nick Nurse's estimation falls on one side of it. And a guy like Brad Wanamaker apparently falls on the other side (laughs) of it. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, like, 
there I know there's no answer to this. It's an immutable uh, and random thing. Yeah. Like Norman Powell just having these huge, huge playoff moments is so ridiculous. And it's like huge playoff moments is so ridiculous. And it's like it's such a great little sub story of this entire Raptors run that like, hey, you know, Norman Powell's gonna be unplayable for a couple games, and then when you need him most, he's gonna steal you a game. Uh so to your point, Fred Van Vliet almost Taking your words uh, and repeating them word for word said last night uh, when I asked him if this qualified as a uh, as a Norman Powell game, which he has been talking about. He saved us. He saved our season. And it's kind of his trademark now. You never know when it's <laughs> going to happen, but it always happens at some point in the playoffs. <laughs> which, uh, do we do we want to read Kyle's quote about Norm as well? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so Lowry, uh, what asked about his thought process when he was on the floor after, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure he actually, I'd have to go back and watch the press conference again. I think he was being, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think he was being asked about when he was on the floor following his, uh, post up over, uh, Kemba, but. He, that's not how he took the question, whether it was intended that way or not. He took it as what he was thinking when Norm had his steal and layup. And he said, fuck, that was great. Thank you, Norm. That was fucking unbelievable. Shit. That was cool. We needed that. Yep. That's, that's exactly uh, how he said it, too. <laughs> yep. And, and like asked permission to swear, basically. Yeah. Can, I say, like, a, can like, I say a swear? <laughs> yeah, he did the like look around, like okay, Carter's not anywhere. I don't even. I don't think Kyle's kids are in the bubble. Um, but you know, in normal times, it'd be like do the look around. Okay, Carter's not within earshot. You know, no one's. My, my mom's not within earshot. No, it's only friends around. Now I can get the cussing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty fun. Um, it's not. I like. This is all to say. I don't know how to answer your question. There's no. No, reason, nobody does. There's, there's, Powell doesn't want to yeah. answer the question either. There's no reason to me that Powell, like beyond guys, have good moments and bad moments. Like I thought, Powell should have been an important part of this series. I thought his ability to vault up, as uh, vault. Nurse likes to say. Um, which is why apparently he got that look at the end of uh, the first overtime. Yeah, I don't at, really want to talk about their two looks at the end of um, those periods, but... I'll, I'll maybe address them a bit after, but I thought like his size and his athleticism, um, and especially compared to Lowry and Van Vliet, who everything against this sort of long athletic team was going to be that much you know, more difficult, I thought his role would be very important. And I thought for the Raptors to be in this series, not that Powell has to have, you know, six great games through that, but like he's contributing at a, at a pretty good clip and, and he's pretty reliable, uh, closer to regular season, like this regular season's Powell. But no, he's basically been terrible. Like, let's be honest, he's been one of a few bad players for the Raptors offensively through five games and he just comes out of nowhere and plays the last uh i don't know how many of the last like when he came into the game probably with about three minutes to go in the third quarter so that's the last 25 minutes of the game essentially and is at eight points until the two minute mark of the first overtime and then scores the last 15 points i mean how do you analyze that you don't yeah, it's it was great though. It was fun. Um, yeah, in no, terms of and, and like again, like he was. Uh, I asked Nurse about it. He he had to hold his own defensively too for that to work. And right. I, it's not like I remember him having a bunch of great plays other than that steal. But the Raptors did pretty well. Small. They certainly stopped being dissected by Kemba in the way that they were before that switch and. You know, if Powell's completely screwing up on the back end of those plays, that's not happening. And yeah, there were some alley-oops to Tice because this is a group that hasn't played together that often. But like, for the most part, the guys did pretty well defensively in that in that uh, lineup. And that's a credit to all five of them. Okay, just before we close out, Norm, yes, uh, we should talk about the final play of overtime. First of all, the final play at the end of uh, the fourth quarter 
or not the final play, but the Raptors' last full possession was uh, Siakam basically driving into traffic against Jalen Brown and missing. Uh, not great with the night that Siakam was having. He continues to struggle. I understand Nurse putting the faith in him, and Nurse's quote about Siakam before the game uh, was really good and, and was a nice perspective. And then also Siakam for what it, for what it's worth, one of his better plays. Like he, yeah, like he did not get stripped on a drive and got a decent look at a admittedly off balance layup. Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a terrible, I mean, the result, you don't get two points, but what he did with it, I, I sort of liked anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. Anyway, he was five and 19 on the night, 12 points. It was a game high plus 12 and had six assists. So like not, not a, a zero, but you know, you could certainly question going to Pascal in that situation. I thought down the stretch with the way Kyle Lowry was playing, having the ball in the hands of Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam instead of Lowry so consistently was frustrating, even with, you know, I, I am sure the answer for why would be that, A, they like Kyle off the ball as a threat, and B, Kyle's being guarded by Marcus Smart, and it makes more sense to attack where Kemba Walker is on the floor. Having said that, I think that, the gap between Lowry and Van Vliet initiating in those situations is large enough and you can try to get Lowry away from Smart yeah. the same way you try to get Siakam on Walker uh, or whatever. So it wasn't um, the best. And then the that play call at the end of overtime. Sorry. Oh, also, just in case anyone didn't hear, I think, I think it got covered on the broadcast, but the reason that OG's lob didn't result in free throws. And nice little Jaylen play there, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and then Jalen Brown's did was because the Raptors were in the bonus. It wasn't because one was a shooting foul and the other wasn't. It was uh, although I I don't understand then why time came off the clock. But the time uh, the time issue is more like I don't. It couldn't have been as long as it was. I think it yeah was 1. like one point three seconds. Yeah, yeah, like it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. And if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com reason and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com reason today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash reason get roman.com slash reason anyway the norm powell pull up three to try to win in at the end of overtime like yes the the priority in that situation as weird as it sounds with your back against the wall in a tie game in overtime is to make sure you get the last shot you sack you can sacrifice a little bit of shot quality to make sure you don't get a turnover and make sure you don't leave enough time on the clock for boston to come back um because you know, your absolute worst case scenario, if you do that, is another five minute overtime. And your worst case scenario, if you try to run an action or try to drive or go early, is that you lose. So it's pretty conservative. And it's it's always been surprising over the last two years with how experimental and outside the box nurses that his late game play calling stays fairly conservative. That wasn't always the case during the regular season this year, to be fair. And if you have Kawhi Leonard as your closer, you should probably just simplify things and let Kawhi Leonard go to work anyway. Although um, he, there was there were those moments in the regular season at yeah. least where he was terrible with judging the clock. Like he mm -hmm. he would routinely leave like three or four seconds after his last shot on on the clock. Anyway, my far bigger issue with the shot is that. It was Norman Powell taking it. And if you have the ball in Powell's hands in that situation, the idea has to be that he's the best player you have on the floor when Siakam's struggling at getting into the paint or breaking the defense down. And Powell just taking a step back three. Well, Powell shot 22% on pull-up threes this year. Like, like you could, obviously, you with the length questions, you maybe don't want the ball in Van Vliet's hands. 
And with Marcus Smart, you maybe don't want it in Lowry's hands. But like Norman Powell taking a pull-up three is not, and, and it probably wasn't like like I'm sure Powell had the option to drive if he thought it was there and, and just went with the the pull-up. But that's just it's just not a good look. Anyway, yeah, um, that, that's just the to... explanation for it is that they were you know you're you're protecting that you have life to to you know you get another overtime if you miss. Yeah, and like I think. Norm probably saw, I think it was Tatum, who was on Lowry, who was on his left, Norm's left side. Uh, he was sort of getting ready to help over and his arms go on for a while. So I, I think he was, if he had any intentions of driving, I think that was probably something that made him question those intentions. Um I maybe am old school here. I want the ball in Lowry's hands. And if he decides to get rid of it because they can't shake the matchup or he's not comfortable in the matchup, that's fine. But like, I don't like possessions where it's not touching his hands at that point of the game. Uh, He's your best decision maker in this series. He's been your best shot maker. I... Don't th- and it is more complicated than that, but I would still err on the side of having that guy figure out, determine what's going to happen. Plus, narratively, uh, putting the season on the line in Lowry's hands and letting Lowry determine the fate of the franchise one more time is just. It's too tidy. It's chef's, too nice. chef's kiss, yes. Yes. Kissing sh- kissing my fingers chefingly right now. <laughs> uh, Lowry, by the way, just an unbelievable couple of games uh, here in the series. He's averaging 21 and a half points, 6.3 rebounds, 6.8 assists, 2.2 steals, has the best net rating of any regular, um, which, you know, grains of salt since Marcus has the second best net rating of any regular. And, you know, Oh, this gets and, me back. This gets me back to a point I wanted to make. Yeah. Um, because when we were talking about, and I, I realize we're coming up uh, toward what us, us needing to end. When we were talking about the Raptors Heat series, uh, first of all, I, I looked up the Raptors numbers in that series. Do you want to guess what the offensive rating was over seven games? Uh, 99.1. It's actually 103.8. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, I was probably helped a lot by that last game where they destroyed scored the Scored a million Heat. points. I yeah. think they scored 116. Were they, they calves again, close out calves against the Raptors to the Heat? Uh, yes. Uh, do you want to guess what Kyle Lowry's net rating was in a series in that the Raptors had an overall net rating of 3.1? And Kyle, and Kyle Lowry scored uh, or played an average of 40 plus minutes, just over 40 minutes. Plus 9.6. Plus 14.3. Mm. <laughs> Man, that's a lot. <laughs> So uh, anyway, Lowry's been awesome. Uh, even as he only shoots 32.6% on threes in this series, he's got to the line a ton, uh, carrying a big load, 45% overall. He's been, I mean, unquestionably uh, the best Raptor. So that's great. Um, as we prepare for Game 7, which again is Friday at 9 p.m., Eric? Yes. What? Other than, um, does Nick Nurse, I guess my first question is, does Nick Nurse wear a green shirt to better coax passes from Jason Tatum uh, once again in Game 7? I mean, trollers got a troll. Yeah. I saw, you know that, um, you know that, like, anime butterfly meme, the, like, is this a whatever? Uh, you know which one I'm I don't, about? I don't know that offhand. Oh, it's this it's this common meme where like a butterfly flies by and the guy is confused and is like, is this whatever? Uh, I saw a funny one of those of like Jason Tatum sitting there and any white dude. And he's like, is this a Boston Celtic? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. Anyway, uh, the bigger question, what is I mean, we kind of did this heading into games five and six, too, and I don't think. Much has changed. Like we we've we did the preview podcast. We touch base after two. We touch base after four. We're touching base after six. A lot of the what needs to go right for the Raptors hasn't changed. And yes, they've managed to win three of the four coin flip kind of games in the series, despite 
at times not shooting well, at times not getting good Siakam performances, at times, you know, having rough Van Vliet nights or not getting something from the bench. And at times are, literally being less efficient than the opponent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they are well suited to take another game like that. Now, obviously, you know, you don't expect a coin to come up heads four times out of five. What, I guess, how much of your opinions on game seven are colored by the fact that Boston has kicked the crap out of them twice in six games and how much of it is like like almost aided by the fact that the Raptors have pulled out three of the four close games because in theory game seven should be another very close hard fought game like what I guess just this is a very long-winded way of saying where are you at for game seven man um I mean I think the only I shouldn't say that. Like, Boston's been the better team through six games. And, like, on the aggregate. That's pretty undeniable. And that the Raptors have found a way to win three of those games is pretty incredible. It speaks to their, you know, whatever cliche slash emotion you want to say. Like, they're their fortitude, their stick-to-itiveness, their competitiveness, their, you know, the way they pull for one another, the way they they stay in game. Like, that that game, game six was two minutes from being done, I'm pretty convinced, and in, in the first half. And they found a way through Serge Ibaka's threes to just at least keep distance before they can really put together a good spurt at the end of the second, at the end of the first half. But I think that game was almost done. Um... So, I, I think, like, to assume it's going to be it, a tight game again, like, that's sort of what you want to do, because you rely on the notion that the Raptors aren't going to go down like they went down in Game 5 or Game 1 in a literal, in a, not a literal do-or-die game, but a win-or-go-or-leave-the-bubble game. Um, I don't know if that's a fair assumption. Like this isn't a one-sided thing. I think again, Brad Stevens mentioned it in his pregame press conference about being asked on his radio show, why don't you assert your will uh, every game like you did in game five? And it's because the opponent, (laughs) like, and so it's like, why don't the Raptors, you know, battle as hard as they do, in like games three, games two, three, four, and six, in in the other games where they got blown up, it's because an opponent is very good and in some ways presents answers that the Raptors have trouble dealing with. And if the game gets too far afield, then they're in trouble. Um, so this is a long way of me answering. I don't know what to expect. I, I think it's dangerous to assume that because it's game seven, it will necessarily be one of those close tight games as opposed to the blowout games, which again, I don't think is likely to go in the Raptors favor. Although shit, who knows? (laughs) Like any, any team can shoot five for 40 on a given night. Although even that game, uh, the seven for 35 Celtics game was a seven point game and reasonably close. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like, if I had to bet, it will be another close game. Uh, but I think it's it's hard for me to pick the Raptors to win it just because they haven't been the better team over seven games. But, you know, that that doesn't mean it would be some sort of shock if they did. Like, they certainly are going to, you know, they're going to fight like they have done all year. They're going to try to find every area to exploit and try to exploit it. Whether that's enough to overcome what seems to be if not a talent gap, although I think it's probably a bit of a talent gap, but certainly an execution gap in this series, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, to your point about, like, why don't you play closer? Why don't you always... If it were me, I would simply hit all the threes and stop Boston from scoring. Yeah, 38 made... going in the... I mean, if you want to sign for hope, like, there were 38 made threes in game, game six, split evenly among the two teams... And the Raptors won it. So, like, if they're hitting threes, which, like, you know, yes, the defense has something to do with it, but a, a lot, you know, there's certainly some degree of 
variance and the defense doesn't control it a whole hell of a lot. And, and they ended up figuring out a way to win that game. Like, it's certainly not out of the realm that the Raptors pull out a fourth, you know, close game in this series. I, again, like, I am not ruling that out. But it's just, given the the bevy of evidence the series has provided, it's difficult for me to, to say, yes, that will happen. <laughs> if that All right, sub, quick sub-question, just based on Nick Nurse's comments after the game that, no, Pascal Siakam still hasn't figured it out, but maybe, just maybe, it happens in Game 7. <sighs> I guess, so, here is, like we said, Siakam was a plus 12 last night and had 6 assists, and I, I feel like outside of Game 5, he's been very good defensively in the series. Um, you know, I think a lot of the times when an open corner 3 gets hit over a late Siakam contest, like, that's scheme. He's he's helping way off into the paint, and I, I don't think that's like him making blunders. I thought Game Five was his only poor defensive showing. If you're Nick Nurse, are you starting Game Seven with the ball in Siakam's hands again, and, and you know letting him know you're our guy? We still have faith in you after this series and in these moments. Um, you know, obviously within that, maybe get him some more pick and roll, use him as a screener more the way Boston used Jason Tatum as a screener a lot in the second half. Things like that. Or are you at a point where, you know, the ball is going to be in the point guard's hands and Siakam is going to have a lesser role in the offense and he can focus on things like playmaking and defense? Like, I I guess just it's not going – Siakam's too good defensively and in transition for it to get to a point, I I think, where you get the DeRozan situation where you're legitimately thinking about benching him for key minutes. You probably could have done that in game five and I would have been on board with it, but the other games it would have been uh, tough as a two-way consideration. Where where are you at with Siakam for game seven? And this is kind of where we'll have to, to close it up here, but I think, you know, look, it was the biggest story coming into the season. It was the biggest story when we set up the relaunch. It was the biggest story coming into the series. I think it's probably the biggest story again going into game seven is no Pascal Siakam isn't like like development isn't linear this is all his first year in this role this is all his first big playoff series in this role but in a game seven in a series that's been this tight they need more from him and that's that's not to pile on him like nurse said that's that's the reality of trying to beat a team as good as the boston celtics in a game seven when their star jason tatum is playing as well as he is I think the Raptors either have to, like, it's reductive. Yeah, hey, Siakam should simply play better. They need more out of him, or they need to change the way that he functions, or, or the offense functions around him. Like, it's got to yeah. be, be one or the other. I think I would lean to altering the way he's playing a bit, which isn't to say you ignore him, which isn't to say he all of a sudden gets an OGN, an OB-type usage. But I, I think we've seen enough in this series to know that he, it's just going to be tough for him to create his own thing. I, I think like getting going off ball could be really helpful and like maybe he's able to perform better later in the game with, uh, with some of those uh, possessions on the ball uh, if that is how he gets going. Uh, I just want the ball in Lowry's hands a lot. And uh, again, like they get like Lowry and Van Vliet just can't be the initiators on all possessions. You need one of Pascal or Norm to, to do a bit of that. And, or, you know, OG to make the world's greatest plays um, every fifth possession. Um, but I would lean... Uh, I don't like saying it. I would lean a bit toward moving him a bit more off ball. Uh, but it, I don't think it's like a binary situation where it's one or the other. I, I think it's like there's room to still have him involved, but you maybe have to lower that that uh, the time that the ball is in his hands, maybe, if that makes sense. It sure does. And use him as a screener a little bit more. Uh, we got to wrap up. Quickly, we quickly, have, uh... quickly. Kyle Lowry, the Raptors, in 68 minutes against the Miami Heat in 2016 when Kyle Lowry was off the floor. Net rating. 
Well, if they were, what'd you say? Plus, plus three overall? Plus, yeah, and plus 14 with him on, or plus whatever I said, yeah. I don't know, quick math, like minus 21 or something? Negative 40.6. Jeez! <laughs> Man, I guess I didn't count the minutes well enough in my very quick math there. But God, jeez, man. Damar, what are you doing? Uh, all right. Uh, luckily, it hasn't been that extreme in this series, but Kyle Lowry turning in another one uh, for the Raptors history books and for the not that it needed it, as you and I have discussed at length during the, the break, but the Hall of Fame case gets better by the day. Lowry's been awesome, and it's just... From, like, a, the perspective of we've covered this guy for as long as we have, like, it's just so cool to see him still doing this. And, like, Chris Black of Sportsnet tweeted out last night that he's only the sixth player his age or older to ever play that many minutes in a playoff game. And, like, he's not doing that in a complimentary role. He's doing it guarding Jason Tatum and scoring 33 points. It's just been whatever happens in Game 7, this has been such a great Lowry series and Lowry season for him to have post Kawhi and just reassert that like, Hey, all of this kind of orbited around me to begin with. And that wasn't appreciated in the moment. But like, as he said about OG and after game three, like give, give Kyle Lowry the flowers right now. Dude's a baller. It's been awesome to see. All right, guys, we will talk to you after game seven. Uh, it's just a question of whether we will be previewing a series with the Miami Heat for you or if we'll be uh, teeing up the offseason. Let's hope for the former because uh, it's cold world out there and I don't <laughs> want to have to start focusing on things other than basketball. So we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Blake. See ya. See ya.